0: Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Some of you know me. Uh, A lot of you don't. But I grew up in Grand Rapids. And after I graduated from Michigan State, I moved to New York City and lived there for five years. And it was actually in New York that I became a Christian. So I grew grew up in a a really good home, a great mom and dad. But all through high school and college, I never stepped foot in church I had never read the Bible, didn't, didn't even own one, and um, didn't want anything to do with, with church or Christians. was really turned off by all of that. So a couple of years into living in, in Manhattan, I had a radical conversion. God really changed my heart and transformed my life. And I was 26 years old. So that was quite a long time ago. But because I was 26, I remember a lot about that time. And what I remember is I was a brand-new Christian that all of a sudden was welcomed into a church in uh, in Times Square. It's called Times Square Church. And uh, I didn't know a lot about being a Christian. Again, I was reading the Bible for the first time. And I was hearing words, jargon or phrases that people would use um, that you call Christianese. And a lot of times I didn't know what they were talking about. Friends of mine would would use certain words. Um, It could be a word. uh, The first one I remember kind of laughing at, but I'd never heard it before in my life, was the word backsliding. That's a very Christian word. I didn't know what it meant. So someone had to explain to me it's when someone kind of leaves the faith or they're not, uh, they're not being as devoted to Christ as they once were, so they're kind of sliding backwards on their face, so backsliding. Another one that I remember was the word word, right? People would say, he gave a good word on Sunday, didn't he? I have a word for you. Have you been reading your word? You know, um, all these uses of the word word, and I had to figure out what meant what as a brand new Christian. Another one that I remember was, um, there, were, there were four of them. Another one was fellowship. That was, that's not a word that in the secular world you use too much. So people would say, come on over to my place. You know, we're going to have a little bit of a fellowship. And so it sounded uh, kind of boring, but it sounded safe. So I thought, you know, it'll, it'll be kind of fun. So I, so I went, you know. And then um, you have a word like fruit. Um, someone asked me once, you know, are you bearing fruit yet, brother? I was like, I I don't know. I hope not. I don't know. How do you answer something like that if if you don't know what people are talking about? So there's all these different words that when people are brand new to the faith, they've never heard before. And, And sometimes it's kind of funny, but sometimes, you know, you can be a little bit offended by that or turned off. But then there are other words that people use that are still Christianese or phrases of verses or, or jargon that everybody has heard before. Not just devout uh, Bible-believing Christians, but even devout atheists have heard words like turning the other cheek or some words related to, to Christmas or Jesus died on the cross for our sins or the blood of Christ or even a word like uh, forgiveness or a word like grace. And so tonight I wanted to talk about that word grace a lot of people are familiar with it. A lot of people use that word in different, uh, different ways, but most people, including I think a lot of Christians, don't completely understand how amazing that grace is. And so I asked uh, uh, Tiffany if she would sing that song, which she did very beautifully, Amazing Grace, because what I'd like to do tonight is take that song, the first stanza excuse me, stanza of it and talk about some of those words because that whole song, Amazing Grace, it's, it's dripping with doctrine or theology, right? If you were to take, uh, Google the, the lyrics and look at it, you could spend a month just going through and learning a lot about the truths of Christianity from that amazing song, Amazing Grace. So that's what I gonna do. I'm gonna take apart that song and, um, and look at three words in particular that come from the first stanza, okay? So I, I will not, You don't want me to sing it, so I'm going to recite it again, the first stanza, and it says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now i am found, was blind, but now I see. So what I'd like to do tonight is to take three words, kind of going backwards in the song, the word wretch, the word saved, and the word Grace which you put together with amazing grace. So wretch, saved, and grace. And what I want to talk about is what the Bible would call the bad news in the Bible, which is the wretch part, the good news, which is the saved part, salvation, and then how you get the good news. All right, The bad news, the good news, and then how you get the good news. Now the first word that um, that I want to look at is the word wretch. And to give you a little bit of background on the person who wrote it in the song, some of you may know this, but a man named John Newton wrote the, the, the song Amazing Grace. And uh, he, w- he grew up as a, a little boy with his father on sailing ships in England in the mid-1700s. So, um, so before, about, uh, about 50 years or so before the American Revolution. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, uh, and then when he was older, he began working on slave ships. And then he became <clears throat> the captain of a slave ship. So he was a slaver. And he was engaged in all the activities that someone in that type of a situation or institution or whatever you want to call it would engage in, which almost everything they did and were surrounded by was totally contrary to to what what God would want us to do and to live like as, as people, as human beings, let alone Christians. And that's what John Newton was doing. And he served on this slave ship, was making money and living this life and then one, um, one evening, uh, on his, aboard his ship, they were in a storm off the coast of Ireland, and it, was, it was, looked like it was going to go down and sink. And it was then that he called out to God, and God touched his heart and radically turned his world upside down. And he ended up being a pastor, a vicar, in the Church of England for over 52 years following that conversion He survived, um, his ship survived, but he became a Christian, a very strong Christian. And he became one of the leading abolitionists of his day. He was one of the leading figures in England that was trying to abolish the entire slave trade. And so in 1779, so a couple years into the American Revolution, to give you a historical context, he wrote this this song, Amazing Grace, because he had experienced that in his own life. So that's why he could write something like I was a wretch, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a slave trader. Someone who was was destroying people's lives and families' lives. Someone who was doing things that would be totally opposite to anything God would want someone doing. I was like that. That was me, but yet God still loved me, and I understand Christ died for me. So he used that word in the song, wretch, for a reason. It's a very strong word, a very negative word. But he, he knew that that was him. He also knew it was a very biblical word. They had biblical, uh, the, the, the word is uh, uh, from the Bible, but also he knew verses like Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. It says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. There's nobody that's righteous. Psalm chapter 14, verse 2, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand any who seek God, but all have turned away, all have become corrupt. There was no one who does good, not even one. And so John Newton wrote that about himself, that I'm a wretch. But he also knew his Bible, so he would have known there was someone in the Bible named Saul, a guy named Saul that was very righteous, a religious leader, a Jewish religious leader. And he he was persecuting Christians, throwing them in jail, organizing their deaths. The first martyr uh, of the Christian faith, Stephen, um, his death by stoning was organized by Saul. But Saul, on his way to go imprison Christians on a trip to Damascus, he was touched. He was saved. He was blinded, thrown off a horse, and God touched his heart and radically turned his world upside down. He became Paul, the Apostle Paul that wrote most of the New Testament. So John Newton was saying, That's like me, a wretch, right? And so if you look at Romans chapter 7 <clears throat> at verse 24, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing this. What a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? What he's saying is, who's going to rescue me from the fact that I did all of these villainous, dastardly, horrible, murderous things, and I deserve to be punished by God. I don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't deserve to have a relationship with Christ. What a wretched man that I am. John Newton felt that, felt that way, and the Apostle Paul felt that way too. But let me, let me talk about this a second. And I'm going to ask a, a couple, uh, three guys to come on up and, and uh, help me here. The, the one thing that we need to take away is, though, is that even though John Newton was a slaver and called himself a wretch, and the apostle Paul was persecuting and killing Christians and calling himself that, biblically, that's all of us. They're not any worse than all of us biblically. And that kind of blows your mind, right? When I was a new Christian, these are some of the things I was learning that I didn't know that kind of blew me away. That in reality, biblically, all of us are in the same boat, all right, so I want to help uh, you really understand this and really get it, because it's one of the most important truths in the Bible you can, you can learn. So I'm going to ask Monty, if you can come on up, and Mark. And who else do I have, John? And these guys are going to help me out. Come on up here a second. And I got, I got places for you to stand, right here, here, and, and here. So we're going to pretend. All right, we're going to do a lot of pretending here. All right, we're gonna pretend that I've got I've got a list of all of their. Are you guys gonna pay attention? This I'm a kids pastor and I have to worry about kids. I didn't think I was gonna to have to worry about this. Now pay attention. All right, I got candy afterwards if you pay attention and just mind your own. Don't look at each other. All right, we're gonna pretend that this is a list of of. Uh, this will be uh, Monty's sins, okay? I got his sins, even a description of what he's done in his life, all right? So you hold on, hold on to that. And then we've got, uh, let's see, John over here. All right. So hold that. Again, these are his sins, a description uh, for him. And then uh, Mark. All right. All right. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Who'da thunk? All right, so they were, so were pretending these are these are their sins, right? So these guys, if they didn't understand biblical truth, they could look at each other and compare themselves to each other, right? Monty can look at both of them and say, you know, I'm I'm more righteous, I'm more holy than these other guys because look at what they've done, right? He's looking at the outward. This is kind of the outward here. And John could say that about Mark. Mark could even, believe it or not, with all of this that he's got going on, pay attention, he could. He could even say he is a lot holier than that John Newton guy uh, that wrote Amazing Grace or the Apostle Paul or a lot of other people, right? When you compare yourselves to others, you can look pretty good, and that's where self-righteousness comes from. And it's not just Christians that are self-righteous, but a lot of secular people that don't even believe can be very self-righteous because self-righteousness is all about comparing ourselves with other people. But biblically, that is not what God shows us is the case, right? So I've got this this cross. I'm going to use it for a couple of reasons, but this is going to stand in for, for God himself, right? God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what the Bible says is that when God looks at us, he looks at the heart, not the outward. And he's looking not at people comparing themselves. He's looking at how people compare themselves to him when they stack up against God. That's how come the Bible can say there's no one that's righteous, not even one. That's why the Bible can say, Every one of us, all of us in Romans fall short of the glory of God because that's, that's what happens. So another, another example that might help you is let's say these guys all play basketball, all right? So Imani, he can dunk, all right? He's good size, tall, he can dunk. John, is re- he's all into defense. He's like right up in your face. And Mark is a good ball handler, can shoot threes. And they're always kind of John and John with each other and comparing each other's game, you know? And, uh, and so they can be, get a little bit self-righteous if you want to use that religious word. But if you were to compare them to somebody else, all right? And I've got a picture. Hopefully you got that, that picture you can put up there for a second. If, if you compare them to... King James up there, right? That's end of discussion, right? Their, their basketball skills, I don't care what they got going on, they're nothing compared to him. So for my example now, biblically, that's the way we are with with comparing ourselves to each other versus comparing ourselves to God. There is no comparison whatsoever, all right? So you guys feeling good about yourselves so far? I've got all your sins. I'm, I'm like being real negative about your basketball. So what's that? Yeah, you will in just a second. So these guys are worse than kids. You're getting me off. Okay. So that's so so what the Bible would say is we don't compare ourselves with other with each other. We compare ourselves to God. And on that count. Everybody falls short. Not just the, what people think are the worst of the worst, but all of us sitting in this room. And so, what the Bible says is that because we are, um, in comparison to God, we are falling short. We deserve to be punished by God. We do, we are objects of wrath. Ephesians two says, which is the bad news part of what the Bible talks about. All right, that's the bad news. That's when when John Newton wrote, "I am a wretch." That's when Paul wrote, "A wretched man like me, who's going to save me from that?" That's the bad news. So that's the, that's the first part. Second part, the good news. Now we're coming to this, John. The good news is God says in his word that he is not going to leave us there, right? One of the most famous verses in the Bible, even people that were newer Christians, even like me, I had heard part of this before when I was a new Christian, John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, that believes that he died on the cross for your sins, shall not perish, shall not be punished for your sins, right? shall not be an object of God's wrath, but have eternal life, have the forgiveness of sins, and live eternally with Christ. Verse 17, for God did not send his son or give his son to us or give his son to die on the cross. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And there's the word, save, that saved a wretch like me. Because he loved us so much, God had a different plan for us. So what you could say is, is that, is that all of Mark's sins, really, if he believes that what Jesus did is true on the cross, then all of his sins are, are nailed to the cross. Let me pull this up a second. All right, All of his sins are here. And the same way with John. right? Christ took all of his sins upon himself when he died on the cross for us. And the same with Monty. Let's see if I got more tape here. All right, nailed to Christ's cross. Because the Bible says, even though all of us, every single one of us, us four, all of you, John, Newton, Paul, should have been punished for our sins, God said, no, I've got a different plan. My son, Jesus Christ, is going to take your place. He's going to be a substitute. And so the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, at verses, starting at verse 4, Surely, He took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced, he was beaten, he was killed for our transgressions, our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, us forgiveness, us eternal life was on him. And by his wounds, by his stripes, by his blood, by his death, we are healed and set free and forgiven. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our sins were put on the cross with him and he bore our punishment for us. That's why we can say even though we deserve to be punished, we're wretches. God loved us so much that he punished his son Jesus instead of us, that we are forgiven, that we are so loved that we are children of God. That's the saved part. That's the good news. So there's bad news, but there's good news, All right? Thank you guys very much. Thank you. Yep, give him give a hand. That's so we do with the kids. So we talked about the bad news and the wretch part, the good news saved. Now how you get the good news. This is the the grace, the amazing grace part. And this is where most people, when um, if you were to ask them questions about um, how you could have a relationship with with God or how you can go to heaven, even people that really don't believe much, maybe they have some kind of faith of of some kind, most everybody in all religions talk in some way about how if you do enough good things that outweigh your bad things, you're kind of going to be good to go. Even if you don't really know exactly where or if you believe in heaven, but it's, there's kind of a scales type thing going on, on in, in your mind. And, and if, you, if the good outweighs the bad, if you're a nice person, you help people a lot, you try to be unselfish, you even come to church a lot and serve or give money, then that's going to help me balance out the things that I know I kind of do bad or, or, or shouldn't be doing. right? Or Some people do such things awful things, they think there's no way God could ever love me. But however, whatever way you want to call it, that scale type thing people use, it's all about what the Bible call works. That people think, I can earn my way into a relationship with God. I can earn my way or work my way into feeling like I can go to heaven. But that is absolutely the opposite of what the Bible talks about in in talking about a relationship with Christ or the forgiveness of our sins. So if you turn to a verse like... um, Uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 8. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay? It's by grace that you have been saved through faith. There's the word grace. And what grace is, is a free gift. And when you believe through faith that what Jesus did for you was true, it was historical, it was factual, he did it for me, and you place your faith in that, then then you're saved. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it's not you working it off. It's not you doing enough good things to earn this forgiveness. It is the gift of God, not by works. Paul's saying it again to emphasize it because people get tripped up in it, and people believe the opposite. So even Paul 2,000 years ago is writing this and saying it twice to make sure people get it, not by works so that no one can boast. So the word grace, when you talk about amazing grace, it's, it's a term for free, a free gift. Okay, a free gift, like a birthday present or a Christmas present. And when your kids, you know, Christmas is around the corner, about I think eight weeks or so, less than that maybe. But when your kids or grandkids or nephews, nieces, they come downstairs and they want to get their gifts for Christmas, do you, do you make them go out and, and shovel the driveway and shovel the sidewalk and, and chip the ice off the, the porch before company comes and then vacuum and then do the dishes? And then, because they've earned it, you give them their, their present, their presence, right? Or do you do that at, 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 for their birthday? No, that's not what a gift is. A gift is given because you love that person, and you don't expect them to earn it. If someone is working, then you pay them money because they've earned that, but not gift. So the word grace means a free gift. God is giving us a free gift we cannot possibly ever work off our sins. But he loves us so much, he said, my free gift is my son Jesus, who will take the punishment that you deserve upon himself so that you can be free, so that you can know this grace, this freedom, this eternal life that I created you to know and to understand. So that's the word grace. And then go to verse 10, Ephesians 2. Chapter 2 at verse 10. For we are God's handiwork or workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So then Paul talks about works, but he's saying you first are given, if you believe by faith, you're given a free gift of salvation, of eternal life. You can't work it, work at it, but once you receive it, you will be so filled with love for me and for others and for what I've done for you, then you will want to do good works. People get it the opposite way so often. They work to be validated. They work to have God love them. They work to feel like I can get into heaven that way or to feel better about themselves. But biblically, it's the opposite way. You receive that, that, that um, love of God and the forgiveness of your sins by faith, and then you want to do good things and good works and be a blessing. So that's amazing grace. That's what amazing grace is all about. So that song again, it said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and didn't know these truths, but now I'm found. I found Christ. I know who I am in Christ. I was blind. I didn't understand what I was doing. I was an object, the Bible calls, of wrath, of God's punishment. I was blind, but now it's all different. I see. That's what John Newton wrote. That should be all of us saying that about ourselves and what God has done in our lives. So let me ask you this. Have you received that free gift? Have you received that free gift? Have you believed by faith that what Jesus did on the cross actually did happen? It was a fact. It happened in history, and he did it because he loved you so much. Do you believe that? Romans chapter 10 says that if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the the dead, you will be saved. There's that word again, saved, set free, not punished, right? Living eternal life. So let me ask you, what did John Newton say about himself and about his God? He said, I admit, I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm a really bad sinner. I've done some really bad things, but I serve an awesome God. And I know by his amazing grace, even a wretch has been saved even me, I've been saved. What did the apostle Paul say about himself, and what did he say about God? He said about himself, and this is a verse we, we read a few minutes ago from Romans 7 at verse 24. He said, what a wretch I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then the next verse, I didn't read it until, I didn't want to read it until now. He, he answered his question, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So my question to all of you is, is what do you say about yourself and what do you say about God? Are you ready to admit, maybe for the very first time, admit that, yes, I'm I'm rebelling against God. I'm not living for him. I am so far away from him. Are you willing to admit that, to confess that, to say, yes, that's me, and I need to ask God to forgive me of my sins, and are, are, are you willing to ask or, or believe, excuse me, are you willing to believe that this is true, what Jesus did on the cross for you is true? Because if you believe that, then when you ask for forgiveness, the Bible has a promise that he forgives you of your sins. He purifies you of all unrighteousness. You are set free. It's a promise. Are you willing to admit that? Have you ever done that before? Like, like me, when I was a brand new Christian, age 26, I had never heard any of that before. Even when I did go to church as a little kid, it, they never talked about any of this stuff. I didn't know anything. So I was hearing it for the very first time. And, and I bet there are people here, some of you, you're hearing this from the very first time. And so what God would say to you is, I love you so much that I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross for you. And if you admit that, if you admit that, that you're a sinner and you need that forgiveness and you believe that that's true, what I, just, what I did for you, then you will be saved when you confess that. So I'm going I'm to ask in a minute, not people to come up front or to stand up, but to raise their hand because we want to confirm what God may be doing in your heart and then pray with you. But I also wanted to ask if there are any of you that you did know that before. You, you were serving God, and you, you did ask him to forgive you of, of, of your sins, and you, and you know that he did. But for whatever reason, things happening in your life, things that kind of came up, and you've drifted away from him, and we want to pray with you also because God would be saying to you, I want you to come back. I want that relationship again with you. Whether this is brand new for you or whether you've you've um, just been drawn away, you are God's workmanship, and he wants you to do good works, but you want, he wants you to love him first so he can change your heart to do those things. In that word, workmanship, the Greek word is poema, like a poem, and it means Uh, uh, something that's creative, like a piece of art, like a masterpiece. So in that verse, what the Apostle Paul was saying is that we were created, right? We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So what I'm asking you to do tonight is to get the first part right, knowing that you can't work, you can't get works, uh, do good works to get to heaven or have a relationship with Christ, but then you will do good works to get that straight. So if there's any of you that are here right now and you would say, I I want to to pray. I want to confirm that tonight. Like the Bible says, some of you know the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Let tonight be the the night of your salvation. If that's you, if you've never done that for the, I want to do that for the first time, or you want to come back to Christ right now, just slip your hand up in the air where I can see it. And then we're all going to pray with you. Is there anybody here that you would say, that is me? Just slip your hand up in the air for a second where I can see. Anybody over here? Don't let this moment pass if that's you. If God's been doing something in your heart. Is there anybody? I see someone in the back. Thank you. Okay, someone over here. Awesome. I see a couple hands over here. Awesome. Anybody else? Just give you another quick moment. So I saw three or four hands, but we're all going to pray together. We're all going to pray in agreement, especially with those that are praying for the, for the first time. And you're saying, I love you, Jesus, and, and I admit I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness, but I know because of what you did on the cross for me, I have the forgiveness of my sins. So we're going to confirm that right now. So just pray this after me. Say, Jesus, I love you, and I thank you that you love me. And I thank you, Jesus that you died on the cross for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me for all my sins, to be my Lord and my savior and my best friend. And I choose tonight to do my best to love you and to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus, your name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.